Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B playbook. Kevin, you have emerged from the shadows. You're there in a dark room in your very dark shirt. You're just lurking. What's that meme? You know the one where, what's the, do, you, do you know the meme that I'm talking about? The one where there's just some guy lurking in the shadows? Yes. Yes, I do. And listeners, for those of you, obviously you can't see uh, me on a podcast, but basically the camera feed, if you're seeing it on LinkedIn, you can see that I'm coming out of the shadows, as George says. Much like I think our uh, social media lurkers, wouldn't you say, George? <laughs> yeah, that's how I like to imagine them. <laughs> just lurking, hiding in the shadows, hoping, hoping that I don't try and call them out somehow. But uh, hopefully enjoying our content that we're putting out there, Kevin. We've been actually receiving more and more very lovely comments from people just sliding into our DMs, just telling us that they're really liking the content, which is great and is one metric that people should be tracking when it comes to determining whether or not their content strategy is a success. And that's what we're going to be discussing today, Kevin. But before we dig into that, I noticed that your, your voice, it... It's almost quite baritone-y. Were you a singer before? No, no, I wasn't a singer, George. <laughs> no. But you were you were in you were in law review. Were, were you was that was that singing and dancing or was that just acting or what was it? There was a bit of that. I was I was actually in the a cappella, but I was actually bass. I wasn't baritone. So 
Oh, I've picked it. I've absolutely picked it. <laughs> so this is the thing, Kev, is I actually have quite a good ear, but I don't have a very good voice. And I've been Googling lately to see, can anyone become a better singer? Mm. I don't know. It's There's kind of mixed things out there at the moment. I don't know. What do you think in your experience, Kevin? Can people become better singers? I'd like to think you can be better at anything you put your mind to, except for maybe growing taller, which, you know, I learned that the hard <laughs> way. But... <laughs> I think almost everything else, if you put if you if you put your mind to it, you can achieve. Yeah, I do think most people do fall into a middle, I guess a middle range where your scene can improve. I definitely think that. It is just a set of muscles that people can train. Obviously there's, you know, a part that's to do with talent and not everyone can hit a certain level of um, of skill without a part of that talent. But for most people, I think it can be pretty possible with a bit of training. I just want to reach tolerable. Like, I just want to be able to accompany playing the piano. Like, that's what I would like to do without everyone running away and leaving. I think in my ideal world, Kevin, um, you know, as you become older, well, there's probably a point where you become older and everyone seeks your advice. I reckon that's like 30 to 50s. And then beyond that, you just kind of become less relevant, typically. (laughs) 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 and I would like to remain the center of attention always. And I would like to be the person at the dinner party who can go to the piano, play and sing at the same time, because, you know, I probably won't have anything interesting to say. (laughs) I've got got to bring something to the dinner party. Wow, George. I think there's a lot of wisdom to be taken from older people, but... (laughs) Oh, it no. seems like you have a you have a slightly different opinion. That seems to not I, be relevant to you. But. Look, I, I think that that opinion is one of me imagining myself as older and not a current reflection <laughs> on other older people. As you know, I seek all my advice, all my counsel from Yaya at eighty four years young. True. She is my primary primary source of advice. Very true. Very true. Kev, I kind of regret going on that tangent just then. I finally had a very smooth transition and segue into our topic, and then you let me go on that tangent. How dare you? Just tell me to shut up next time. <laughs> now I don't know how to transition back back into our topic today. Sometimes you just need to go for it, George. I respect that. All right. Look, as I alluded to earlier, or actually I explicitly said, today we're going to be talking about the metrics that our B2B marketers need to track to know that their content is working. Now, this season, Kevin, we've been discussing how to be helpful at scale. We've said that marketing is all about building relationships at scale and you build relationships by being helpful. We've said content is a key driver of doing that. And we've given our listeners everything that they need to be regularly creating content that cuts through the noise. We've shown them how to scale that content as well over the last couple of weeks. And today, again, is all about knowing those key metrics that you should be tracking so you know whether or not your strategy is working. You'll also find out what metrics you should be sharing with the wider business and your boss too because quite frankly kevin we're all accountable to someone and our boss always wants to know where we're spending our time and if he's getting or she's getting bang for their buck so we're going to be telling you what metrics are good to share with them too kevin i think we should probably first start with looking at well why are these metrics important like why do we need to track these metrics so obviously you need to know whether your own content is working whether that strategy is working for you and that's important because 
one, you need to know what you need to do more of to continually improve that content strategy because it isn't it isn't fixed. It is fluid and needs to be adapted over time as trends and your audience changes and adapts their interests as well. And importantly, as George mentioned before, we're also going to be talking about that piece about sharing to your boss because your boss or whoever has a vested interest, um, the key stakeholders internally in your organization will have an interest in terms of how that investment you're doing in your content is working out. Is it worth it? Is it worth continuing with going forward? This episode is really important because of those things and because content strategy takes a solid time commitment to get right. So you need to be waiting at least three to six months to actually start seeing some of the results and then be able to communicate that impact internally. But when it works, the effects compound forever and you become that trusted authority. You win dark social, we'll get into that in a second. You have a tighter feedback loop between you and your dream customers more than any of your competitors as well. But all this takes time. So we do need to hold your boss over with metrics in the meantime. Problem is everyone is very focused on ROI. And also if you're using a CRM, likely the effects of your content won't be seen there right away. So these are just some of the reasons why all those metrics are important and it's important to figure out which ones to start focusing in on, uh, to have an expectation around, and then knowing which ones to start communicating to show that progress, to show the impact that your content strategy is having and also to make sure that it is in fact having an impact that you desire and to move away from that focus on ROI and things that are in your CRM that might not necessarily reflect the effects of your content. Yeah, absolutely, Kev. And ROI is, of course, the eventual goal. That's the eventual goalpost, but we want to change that goalpost before we get there. As we said, this stuff takes time to get working, but once it does, the effects of it just keep compounding and the ROI is absolutely incredible. I mean, look at the ROI on um, HubSpot's inbound marketing and all of their content. Like that would be enormous. And you can say that of any content first business, but I guarantee you for the first couple of years, probably for them, the ROI, if you were to look at like the number of people that they had writing articles, producing content, distributing it, it absolutely would not have been there. I think, Kevin, that you can start to see a positive ROI probably at that six month to a year point in on what you're doing. But the ROI just keeps getting better and better if you commit to this content strategy, if you commit to the distribution. And today we're going to be discussing what metrics you need to keep yourself, the wider business focused on in the interim. So they're not just focused on ROI because if they're going to look at that straight away, they're going to cut whatever programs you're running. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, George. I think the way we often characterize it is despite that ROI being such an important bottom line figure or metric to focus on, it really is a symptom rather than the cause. And so if you focus in on this on the symptom and trying to fix the symptom, you're not really going to find the cause and really improve it for the long term. So that's why we think this episode is super important to start to focus in on the metrics that you should be tracking along the way as you get towards that ROI that you desire. All right, well, let's jump into the metrics that our listeners should be tracking. Now, largely, you can break these metrics down into either qualitative or quantitative. Kev, you gave us a definition for each of those last week, and I, of course, remember exactly what that is, but I'd like to test you and see if you remember what they are. (laughs) And could you please tell our listeners again what the difference is between qualitative and quantitative metrics are? 
Sure thing, George. And thank you for the test. I probably do need it occasionally. So qualitative data is data that is not easily reduced down to numbers. Uh, they tend to answer questions like the what, the how, the why of why something's happening. And it's less focused on questions around questions of how much and how many. That's where quantitative data comes in, where it's defined as the value of data in the form of counts or numbers, where each data set has a unique numerical value associated with it. The examples that we gave last time of each type of data was that qualitative data is like LinkedIn comments, someone telling you why they loved your content, the fact that they did love your content at all. Quantitative data is where, for example, you're going into Google Analytics and you're looking at reports which tell you how much average time a person spent or the average time the group of users consuming your content spent on a particular page. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Full marks, Kevin. Very, very good. Now, both qualitative and quantitative are actually quite important when it comes to reporting on your content strategy. The quantitative ones that we're going to call out and talk about are probably ones that you wouldn't actually typically really think about including. Some you might, others maybe not. So I think let's run through the quantitative ones first and then we'll get to the qualitative. For quantitative, we're going to start off with one that is actually just really, really basic, and that is website traffic. Now, that is a metric that I probably wouldn't report on immediately because it's going to take some time for you to build visibility in your content and for that content to eventually drive traffic to your site, particularly when a key part of your content strategy is not always driving people back to your website, but to make sure people are just consuming their content where they are. Initially, website traffic probably isn't going to be your main goal and you're not going to see that move a lot. But nevertheless, let's keep that one in mind. Website traffic can be a key metric to include. The other piece around website traffic is that quality versus quantity website traffic is something that you can't measure with a simple number like that. So again, it's a metric that will come in in importance and has its own place, but it won't be the be all or end all that a lot of agencies and people alike might put on that number. The second quantitative metric, Kev, is I think a good one is time on page, the average amount of time someone has spent on a particular page. So if you are directing people back to read a full article on your site or consume a full webinar on your website, the average time that someone actually spent on that page consuming that content tells us whether that content is resonating or not. So I think that's a pretty good metric. Another one is looking at 
how many engaged people were on a particular page. Now, we have an engagement pixel that we set up that tracks, you know, how far someone scrolls down a page, how long they spend on that particular page as well, and that helps us define an engaged user. And so that's something else that we count. But an easy way for people to, I guess, do similar something similar straight away is that first metric, which is what we just said. Look at the average amount of time someone's been spending on that page. Another quantitative metric that people can look at is you can review which companies have viewed your videos, posts, and articles. Now, you can do that on LinkedIn by getting that data directly from the platform. Very easily shows you um, who's engaging with your posts, which companies are viewing it, which people are liking it as well. You can actually pull a list of all the people who have liked your LinkedIn posts with a really simple tool called Phantom Buster. So what you can do is you can feed in the URL of all of your LinkedIn posts and it goes through and pulls a full list of people who've liked it. And so then that's data that you have. You can also look at which companies are viewing your website as well. And there are paid tools to do this. They're from companies like Clearbit, Sixth Sense, ZoomInfo. There's a whole host of them that reveal that anonymous traffic and tell you which which companies that traffic's actually coming from. But um, again, Kev, you and I like to do things in the thrifty way. We use Clearbit's free trial. And if you subscribe to Clearbit's free trial, they send you a report every week and show you which companies have been viewing your website, which is pretty cool. So every week, Kev, you and I get an email from Clearbit and it shows us which companies have been on the b2bplaybook.com, um, which pages they viewed, how much time they spent on it. It's pretty cool and it's all for free. So that's a good one for our listeners. Finally, the last quantitative metric that you should be looking at to see if your content strategy is working is post engagements. So that can include people liking it or sharing it. It might be a nice one to include, but I wouldn't look at this religiously. This, these are what we would call, I guess, vanity metrics. And they're vanity in the sense that they make you feel good about what you're doing because people are liking it, but it's largely superficial. I think very often when you look at the detail of who is liking your posts, it's not often your dream customers. It's not often that they're the ones who are actually doing it. Your dream customers more often than not are the lurkers and they're not the ones who are liking your post. For us, Kev, I know that we do get dream customers, dream listeners liking some of our posts, but the majority is coming from other marketing consultants, other people who are very active and vocal on LinkedIn. They're people who are more actively pursuing the platform for their own benefit or gain, and we're all largely supporting each other. But the reality is it's the lurkers that we want to consume our content they're the ones who aren't actually engaging in posts. The lurkers actually are the ones who reach out to you through your LinkedIn DMs. And that's what we would put under qualitative data. And we're going to move on to qualitative data now, Kev. Yes, as George says, qualitative data is super important, particularly as we view this B2B journey. It's important because of this concept called dark social. So a lot of your dream customers, your dream 100, they might be talking and having important conversations in touch points that can't be tracked, that can't form part of the quantitative data available to you. Things like comments or discussions in community groups 
whether they're private groups, even WhatsApp chats or Facebook Messenger chats. It could be things like discussions within a private Facebook group. It could even be offline conversations between people at the same company. So that's what we call dark social. It's all these touch points that traditional online marketing measures can't actually get any insight into. And in fact, most of our content consumers that we want to target with our B2B playbook strategy, they are lurkers, as George said, they are lurkers who predominantly play in that dark social space. They might see a piece of content, they might talk about it with their colleagues, or they might share it internally in an internal company Slack chat. You'll never get any visibility on that, um, but it, and you'll never be able to measure that, but that impact is infinitely more important to them coming on as a client or consuming your content to begin with than it is for them to like a post and for you to see that like and add it to your quantitative data of how many people liked my post or saw my post today. This also extends out to things like comments. So one thing that we can see in some of your social posts is comments, but again, they're not very quantitative in the sense that you can't really add them up and say, okay, I've got 50 comments on a particular post. That gives me a certain amount of insight into X, Y, Z. It doesn't really work like that. With comments, they give you this qualitative data about what is important in your content to those that are consuming it. It gives you feedback about what more content you should be doing, what topics are important, are resonating with your audience, and what you should explore further in your content going forward. That's a great sign of qualitative data guiding your strategy going forward. And another great example that we love to see and we've seen other people encourage is having a how did you hear about us field in the contact us forms. So what this tracks is basically it tells you where people came in from and it gives you some indicator of are they coming from a dark social spot that you perhaps should be paying more attention to or trying to get into that you otherwise wouldn't be aware of in your quantitative data. We like to recommend people track this using just a Google Sheet of some kind, keep the original reason and note the original source, e.g. podcast or whatever it might be, and try and make sure you keep that field open, open-ended, not a drop-down field so that the person filling out the contact form can give you a better indicator of where they're actually coming from and original reason of why that particular interaction brought them to you. And as George mentioned before, LinkedIn DMs or whatever direct messages or messaging platforms that your business uses, those are also very important, insightful pieces of qualitative data. I know George mentioned that he had someone say to him, he had very helpful content. He was asked whether he had anything specific to the B2B SaaS space. So maybe that's something that we'll explore further as we develop our content. Because again, that is someone who has come through LinkedIn DMs. It's a qualitative piece of data that now is a very helpful and timely guide to where our content goes from here and how we adapt and tailor it and even niche it down. But that would never come across in a set of numbers that you get on quantitative data or at least the process will be a lot slower. I think crucially, Kev, every time you receive one of these qualitative insights, whether it is a DM on LinkedIn from someone telling you that they loved a piece of content or wanted you to clarify something, or someone mentions you in a contact form submission, they mention your podcast, or they mention your activity in LinkedIn when they're requesting a demo. These are just a tiny little peephole 
into dark social and a kind of little confirmation to know that what you're doing is working. If you don't listen to these and if you don't look at them and if you just went off the quantitative data alone, there's a very good chance that you might cancel these content programs that you have running because on the face of it, the quantitative data might be telling you that, well, not many people are listening to your podcast or you're only getting a thousand people to look at your LinkedIn posts, you know, each time you post. But the impact is going to come from those qualitative insights. And Kevin, you mentioned how our listeners can keep track of that in a sheet. You know, what you and I do is we take all of these qualitative insights, we chuck them in one column in a Google sheet, then we do some fancy formulas in another sheet, and we just pull out like the keywords so we can easily categorize whether someone has come from the podcast, from LinkedIn, from some other piece of activity that we've done. And it counts, I guess, how many times in that data dump the word podcast was mentioned. So out of 100 comments, we have 100 rows on a spreadsheet. If podcast is said 20 times, then podcast will be attributed 20 times. For those people, if they became paying customers of ours and uh, if they came through our CRM and if we used last click attribution, they probably would come through you know, either direct or through organic, and then we would attribute that to something else and not our content strategy. Now, Kev, we mentioned vanity metrics earlier and why they'll lead you astray and you shouldn't optimize for them. I was just chatting earlier with a guy from Refined Labs, a guy called Miles Madden. Uh, we just had a little engagement on LinkedIn because he made a very good post about why you shouldn't be led astray by vanity metrics. And by vanity metrics, we largely mean the number of impressions you get and the number of likes you get. Yeah, that can sort of guide how your content is performing. But as we just mentioned, the real juice is in the qualitative data. Most people are lurkers. Don't just assume that because you aren't getting likes or aren't getting a ton of impressions that people aren't enjoying your content and getting a lot of value from it and that it's not building you as an authority in the space. So please don't focus on those metrics. Yeah, I think we try and get a little bit more technical with it. The way to look at impressions and likes is it's only a very skewed sample of your overall audience. It's not the, the actual true mean of your audience. So whenever you see a spike in impressions and likes, it's not necessarily a sample taken from the audience that you want to reach, that you want to be servicing with your helpful content. So naturally that will lead you astray. As they say, it's not a statistically significant result. Or the scientific testing method here is incorrect with the impressions and the likes. So definitely treat them as vanity metrics, which can and often will lead you astray. Um, but they do have their time and place maybe later down the track when you know that your audience is much more in tune with where you want to be and who you want to reach. Yeah, Kev, look, my best ever performing LinkedIn post had, you know, well over 30,000 views, 40,000 views or something, like 30,000, 40,000 impressions, which is huge for us. But that is by no means my favorite post. And I, it didn't really do much for us at all because that particular piece of content was quite generic. And there were a lot of consultants and independent consultants who really liked that piece of content. And that's who that piece of content, I guess, went in quotation marks, because it's small, the grand scheme of things went viral with. And then I had a ton of people add me and they're all from that consultant market. But that's not ultimately who my 
dream listener is. That's not who my dream customer is. I would have much rather another post definitely reach 500 of my dream customers. So it's definitely more about the quality of the impressions and not the quantity. All right, Kev, well, that is really the qualitative and quantitative metrics that we think you guys should be tracking. Now, we are going to tell you over the course of the first 12 months of your content strategy, which metrics you should be looking at at different times. But before we dig into that, let's tell people what metrics they should probably be sharing with their boss, with their wider team, because ultimately we've got to keep our stakeholders happy, don't we, Kev? Yes, we do. And as we've been saying, qualitative is super important for guiding your content strategy and how you optimize it. But it's also super important to share with your boss and to any other internal stakeholders, particularly your experts, the experts that you want help with. This is where qualitative again shines. So in those weekly or monthly emails where you might already be sharing the activity that you're doing with your boss, with the rest of the company from the marketing side of the business, You can also show alongside that activity count or the activity that you're undertaking, the qualitative feedback that's coming from your dream customers. Because that gives a lot of context around what is actually trending in terms of topics, in terms of trends, in terms of the pieces of content topics that are getting cut through. You can simplify this and make this more quantifiable for your boss by saying, you know, 20 people talked about this particular topic and here's some examples. You can even go direct with a few extracts and quotes about your content that you've gotten back in those feedback comments. And then they can use that to easily see the success of your content strategy. Now, we're not saying you have to cut out all your quantitative data. We definitely think quantitative data has its place and you should include that too in your reporting because counts like companies and people who are consuming your content, industries that they're from and showing a number of how many people in a particular relevant industry is coming in, that is relevant information. That will help ground the impact that you're trying to demonstrate to your boss, to the rest of the internal stakeholders. That activity report that you show also extends to other experts in the business that you're trying to involve. And they might be experts who are a lot more geared towards responding to quantitative pieces of data as well. So it's important to have a mixture of qualitative and quantitative to really show the impact and get that buy-in from both your boss and the experts in the business. But it is important to start feeding in more and more of that qualitative contextual data that you might not otherwise include in your reporting because that really grounds the numbers that you're sharing in the context within which those numbers occurred so that your boss understands and the experts understand the impact and they will be interested in helping support the content strategy that you're running. And you're not going to have a lot of qualitative data to feed back initially. Look, your first report, you might have maybe one or two comments, but that is enough to get started. That is enough to feed back to your boss to say, look, at least people are engaging with it and responding and they've started consuming it. And when it comes to quantitative data, focus on the quality of that quantitative data. As we said, it's not about the number of impressions, it's it's about who those impressions were in front of, who is consuming your content, which companies were it, which people in those companies. And that data is the really important stuff rather than the sheer volume of it, particularly to begin with. There's a bit of skill involved here, George. As we know, everyone, every boss, every internal team has a different mixture of technical people who respond better to quantitative data and 
overview, big ideas, strategy kind of people who are more focused on the qualitative data and the qualitative feedback that you can report on. So definitely for listeners, it's a bit of skill in balancing how much you include in terms of qualitative and quantitative data and bring them together into something that makes sense and gets that buy-in that you're after. All we're saying is likely you are reporting a lot of activity level stuff that might be more focused on quantitative data. If you haven't been doing so already, give it a go feeding in some of that qualitative data that gives more context around the numbers. You might be surprised by how impactful that whole reporting becomes with that balance. Even just from a point of moving someone through the the buying journey, Kevin, someone reaching out and giving you qualitative data, that is a great entry point to starting that conversation around how you can help them further with whatever it is that they're doing and how your product or service fits in, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. You know, it's so much earlier on in that journey and there's so much room and flexibility to have a conversation with that audience to influence their thinking rather than down the track when you become just one of the many options in front of them and they're just deciding purely on a more numbers-based system. You can actually explain a lot more and build a lot deeper relationship with these contact points much earlier in the journey and give yourself a better chance as well to show the full extent of the value and the expertise that you have within your business. Kev, I think what's important when it comes to looking at these metrics is knowing that the needle is going to move at different points in time for each of these metrics. I think it's probably good if we break it down maybe over the first year of a content strategy, which metrics should really start to move because As we said right at the beginning of this episode, website traffic could be a quantitative metric that you're going to look at, but that's going to take quite a long time to get moving and isn't one that we would focus on to begin with. So let's just break it down by quarter and look at which metrics we think should typically move in that certain time frame. So the first three months, you're probably not going to see a whole lot move, Kev. (laughs) Uh, That's the reality. You might get a few likes, you might get a few comments, maybe one or two DMs. You know what, Kev? That's actually still enough to take on and keep going. You've still got enough for your reports with your boss. You still have enough to know whether you're hitting a pain point or not and whether your content is helpful or not. And it's really helpful at that stage to take that little bit of feedback and start building those processes for optimizing your strategy with that feedback. It's actually a good thing to only have a few pieces of content feedback because you're still learning how to get into this content groove, content production groove. You're still learning how to get the team working together and get the steam train rolling. If you add too much wood at this point, the engine might burst and you might be in a bit of strife trying to keep up. But if you just have a few pieces of feedback coming through, it's actually really great for you to start building the processes that we talked about to be able to adapt your content strategy as you go along and to start adapting your content and content focus along the way with this feedback so that when you do get more regular feedback down the track, you know how to adapt it, you know how to scale your systems to adapt to that feedback as well. Yeah, great point, Kev. And that relates back to earlier episodes we've spoken about around having that content repurposing framework in, uh, using the these early stages to test and refine your message and you never stop doing that. 
but you certainly have the benefit of doing that more in a public space and being, I guess, not great in public, but not a huge amount of people will see it. But definitely that zero to three months period is where so many people fall over and they give up because they're like, ah, how come I don't have any business yet? I've been at this for eight weeks. What is going on? What a terrible use of my time. And that's why people give up. Do not give up because at the three to six month mark, that's when you're probably going to start getting some more regular comments. You probably get a few more likes. As we said, they're mostly vanity metrics. Don't worry that much about it. You're probably going to get people asking you more questions about your content, asking you to clarify certain points, maybe even telling you that they liked how you framed a particular answer to a question or a topic that you're discussing. If you're posting from a company profile or your personal profile, if you're sharing your content on social, that's generally where the visibility of your profile is going to start to increase. That has a whole host of other benefits related to it. Um, For us anyway, and we've seen this with others, that's where you start being asked to collaborate with others on content that they're doing. So for us, we've been asked to be guests on other people's podcasts. Uh, There's opportunities to do joint pieces of research with complementary businesses. And that's all really great in terms of working on your dream 100 because your dream customers are probably the audience of a lot of these complementary businesses. So by your profile increasing, you're actually extending your reach with a lot of your dream customers. Yeah, you might even be lucky enough to get one or two inquiries for your services as well. It's actually a really important and very exciting stage because you're looking for those early signs that things are starting to work. Things are starting to pick up in terms of volume and you're starting to get better quality engagement on your posts, on your content. And listeners, as people who have been there and done that, I can tell you that that is the most exciting phase. It does happen. Just stick at it. It does. And it feels so good when you start to see things move and you do start to get inquiries off the back of your work and you do start to get asked to collab with other people. It happens. You got to stick at it. But make sure at this time to keep sticking to that principle of optimizing your content, making your content better based on that feedback. It's exciting to get all these new ideas in. You might start to get into a groove of how you're doing your content, but be careful to avoid at this point getting into a rut of putting out the same sort of content without actually thinking about, is this having cut through? Is this showing the right signs rather than the wrong signs of increased impressions to the wrong audience? Is it showing the right signs in terms of getting that feedback or inquiry that you want people to have? And let that information inform what content pieces or topics you go in depth into. That's it. Don't be distracted by vanity metrics. Great reminder, Kevin. And at that stage, you might even start to see a little uptick in terms of website traffic too. And the reason why we're not getting technical on what kind of website traffic you should be looking for, it's because you're ultimately creating this content to generate awareness about your company. So how that person then comes to your website is going to be very difficult to track. They could come direct by typing in the URL of your website. They could just be doing a branded search on Google and typing the name of your company into Google. They could be clicking an article from LinkedIn and coming to your page that way. There's so many different ways and sources of them getting to your website. But at the end of the day, it's because of the regular helpful content you're putting out there. Yeah, measuring that piece about where they come from comes a little later. And it's really 
going into what we were talking about before around dark social, even when you can start to measure some of that stuff, you won't be able to see a lot of the picture. It's kind of like, you know, the tip of the iceberg of what you can measure. And then the rest of it is dark social, 90% you don't see. It's under the sea, it's under that dark moving sort of community engagement space that you will never have full insight into. So it's important just to focus on taking what feedback you can, focusing on the qualitative data and continuing that journey of improving your content and producing that helpful content. Now at the six to nine month mark, so we're in the the third quarter of you hitting that content strategy hard, engagement starts to tick up, but more importantly, regular people actually start to show up and almost form a little bit of a community around your content. So people are actively seeking out your content, whether that's to consume it on your own website or they go and look up your profile on LinkedIn or wherever it is you're posting your content to consume it there directly. And that's a really, really positive sign because that means that they're coming to you now. They're starting to recognize you as a trusted authority in that space and even perhaps a gathering place for like-minded peers of theirs where they can gather around content that represents similar beliefs that they have. And so that's a really important place to be. You're probably also going to start to get more regular inquiries about your services at this point in time too. And that's all stemming from the awareness that your content's creating. All right, Kev, 12 months in, 365 days later, unless it's a leap year, what's it looking like? Paint us a picture. Well, at this point, your content strategy should be paying dividends. Your content should be a solid contributor to the overall traffic increase that you're seeing. And there should be a solid community and content partners starting to build within your network and within your community spaces online. The number of your inquiries for your services should naturally increase with all this traffic, all this extra attention from the right audience as well. The train is well and truly in motion at this point, isn't it, Kevin? But you can't stop there. You know, 12 months is still, it's, you're still just a little baby on this journey the impact just continues to compound the more that you stick at it. So it's not just 12 months done, move on to the next thing. It's really just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what you can achieve in your business with a really strong content strategy. And if you want any proof of that, uh, I always direct people to look at a few of my favorite businesses out there who are absolutely killing it using this strategy. Um, They're seeing growth unlike any others using these channels. They don't have to rely on the Google gods using SEO or bribing the Google gods by giving them money on paid search. (laughs) They don't have to do that to win new customers. Um, A lot of them are barely even spending money on LinkedIn ads. They're pretty much doing it all organic, all on social, and it's all from a really strong content strategy. And I would encourage people to look at uh, Chili Piper and all of my favorites. Refined Labs are really good. Gong are also great. And uh, if there are any more, I will add them to the show notes. All right, George, that about wraps up this episode. Let's run through the key takeaways really quickly. When it comes to content strategy, don't focus on your ROI straight away. Its positive effects are enormous and have a compounding effect when you get that content strategy right. So the metrics that we've given you to track to let you know that you're on the right path, keep coming back to those and use them to get your boss off your back 
as you start to build that train of your content strategy and get it running through the first 12 months. As per usual, you can find the links to everything that we discussed in the show notes. Now, next week, Kev, will cover the five stages of awareness and the types of helpful content that our listeners need to create at each of them. So you can transition dream customers from just viewers of your content or lurkers of your content into buyers of your product or service. So that's going to be a cool episode. Uh, as always, we're really grateful that more and more people are tuning in each week. You know, we don't like to focus on the, the quantitative data, Kev, but it is nice to see a little... A little uptick in podcast downloads each week, which is cool. Uh, we do focus on the qualitative, of course, and the number of people who are DMing us is increasing more and more each week, which is great. But as always, if we can just ask one thing, if you got value from the show, please leave us a short review on whatever platform you listen on. It's always a huge help to us and we'd really, really appreciate it. Thank you again. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Kev, for your time. And I can't wait to dig into next week. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, George. Take care and see you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.